Hello and welcome to another episode of the Menswear Style Podcast, episode 31. I'm your host, Pete Brooker, and I've got an absolute belter of a show for you this week. I'll be speaking to creative director for New and Lingwood, Simon Maloney. He'll be talking to me about the inspiration behind the notorious peacock gowns, as seen worn by Hugh Laurie in The Night Manager, what it's like working alongside Karl Lagerfeld, his near miss with the Mission Impossible franchise, and a lot more. That's coming up next. And then I guess the most um, famous one for us in recent years has been um, the Night Manager, uh, where Hugh Laurie wore one of our peacock gowns. Oh, wow. And and he wore that five weeks in a row. I mean, we couldn't have planned that better. (laughs) And now it's become a staple. After Simon, I'll be talking to Beck Loads, our editor-at-large for Menswear Style. She'll be giving me the lowdown from Copenhagen Fashion Week and why men's shorty shorts are back in the limelight. God damn. <laughs> All that to come. But first, make sure you're subscribed to the Menswear Style podcast on iTunes. Follow us on the social at Menswear Style and check us out at www.menswearstyle.co.uk for all your latest fashion and lifestyle news. If you'd like to be featured on the show as a guest, we're hosting auditions at the end of the month. You'll need to apply online and write in no less than 10,000 words. Why, when you go abroad, do you choose the worst clothes in your wardrobe? (laughs) I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Most of the pictures you'll be looking back on in life, later life when you get to my age, and you start shopping around for the best priced nostril clippers or whatever, all the pictures that you keep will be of you on holiday. Why do you want to pack all that crap from your wardrobe and never never gets to see the light of day at any other time of year? Do you think that Stone Roses t-shirt deserved a holiday too? Anyway, (laughs) I'm messing around. If you do want to get in touch, there's no audition. Just send us an email with the title podcast at info at menswearstyle.co.uk. Okay, let's get down to it. Introducing Simon Maloney, Creative Director from New and Lingwood. I'd like to introduce to the podcast now Simon Maloney, Creative Director of New and Lingwood. How are you doing today, Simon? I'm well, thank you very much. I'm working at home on the new Autumn Winter 19 collection, which seems very early, but needs to be done. Oh, well, that sounds exciting. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks again for taking the time out to speak to us. I wanted to ask you a little bit, if you can talk a little bit about the design process for the Spring Summer 18 collection. I know you're working on the AEW 19 collection now, but I noticed a lot of textured check jackets and trousers in the collection are new and lingwood known for their flamboyancy i guess it's that um almost um mythical eccentricity of the english that we've become uh, known for it's that eccentric british style and confidence and exuberance um without being too crazy but there's always an element of that in the collection and i'm keen to try and make a point of difference i mean we can look after people from the quietest navy suit um right through to a three-piece tartan suit but um i just don't want us to be try and be everything to everybody i think we need to have a signature and an identity and color and texture and pattern has become that as a sort of evolution over the years and a lot of that's been informed by our heritage uh 
from Eton College, where we started in 1865. And there's a long tradition of Eton colours. Um, we carry something like 140 colours of teams and societies and houses, um, socks and caps and blazers. Um, so that comes through in our interpretations of the menswear collection. So that's sort of a DNA that's come through over the years. Interesting. It's it's just great to have all of that tradition housed in London. And I, I imagine, do you have the ledger books that goes all the way back to you know the the early nineteenth century? We do have a lot of ledger books. Yeah, um, definitely to the beginning of the twentieth century, and probably a couple more. Just stacks of these wonderfully thick, dusty leather-bound books, which have wonderful copper plate writing in them and then carefully um, pasted swatches of the customer's shirts that they've selected the pattern references and the prices and yeah it's it's wonderful to look back and the other thing it just reminds you that nothing really is new um, I think towards the end of the 19th century with um, having had the industrial revolution and uh, the birth of new dye stuffs people were quite experimental um, and a lot of the patterns they did are being repeated today. I mean, you know, they really weren't stayed at all. Once they had that color in their hand, mm. they knew how to use it. Um, and it's also beautiful because a lot of the original work was hand painted. They didn't have CADs. It was all hand drawn. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. How often do you manage to go through the archives and like dust off those leather books? Probably not as much as I should. What I do do, though, is I do go to see archives of our mills and well, our silk mills and our um, woolen mills in the UK because they're fascinating, absolutely fascinating, looking at um, the different things that you were able to do because, funnily enough, nowadays machines are so fast, some of the, the more intricate weaves on tailoring you can't do now because the uh, needles would break with the speed of the machines now. Mm. So yeah, it's it's it is always good to look back and um, never dismiss the past too much. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, those who forget their past are condemned to relive it, as uh, yeah, very Santiano true. would say. Very, um, very true. <laughs> but uh, moving into AW eighteen, autumn winter, what can we expect to see from New and Lingwood? I understand that you have uh, an Anglo-American literature as inspiration for the previous collection what sorts yep. of inspiration have you channeled moving forward uh i guess it's a little bit more um cont contemporary but with a reference to the past i guess um so it's been i was really really inspired by the film Fan the phantom thread um mm. not the most cheerful of films but uh in terms of style and the way that daniel uh, uh, I was going to say Daniel Craig, <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis um, wore and put together some of his outfits, really left a lasting impression on me. And then, you know, in a more uh, mundane way, The Crown, um, because they have such huge budgets that they really can be true to the original style of those suits worn through from the, um, I guess, early 1940s 50s um and it's wonderful to see the detail somebody there in the costume department must be having a ball <laughs> yeah. and, so, sorry sorry to interrupt i was just going to ask do you get a lot of requests to provide costumes for films or tv shows yeah indirectly we do have stylists come in sometimes anonymously but then they'll follow it up with a letter saying if they could you know use or have a number of repeat outfits for films we did one a few years ago for um 
Benedict Cumberbatch for it was one of the X-Men films and we had to have eight of the same raincoat that he had to have and then I guess the most um, famous one for us in recent years has been um, the Night Manager uh, where Hugh Laurie wore one of our peacock gowns oh wow and and he wore that five weeks in a row I mean we couldn't have planned that better (laughs) and now it's become a staple it's sort of um, synonymous with us but yeah we do get a few we were asked to use if somebody wanted to use the store for one of the Mission Impossible films they wanted to use our changing room as a um, an MI5 type lift where you went in and drew the velvet curtain and then went downstairs but actually after a while it didn't transpire you know these film things drag on and on and on and then yeah. something else happens but yeah we're, we're often asked just I think because of a, the distinctive character of the clothing yeah um, so yeah well that's exciting I'm, I can't wait to tell my mum that because she loved Night Manager I mean we both watched it but that's that's going to be great now I can tell her I remember the last programme I couldn't actually sit down I had to stand up to watch it because I was so um, anxious about the potential outcome yeah no it, it was gripping um, I, I, well I was going to move on to the uh, the actual gowns but perhaps I'll just save that to last in the meantime how have New and Lingwood managed to market themselves outside of the UK? So I, I know that you've recently opened one in the US. Is that correct? In New York? Yeah, we started with a, a pop-up on Madison Avenue um, at the end of the year, December. We closed that uh, a couple of months ago, and we've now moved to the permanent site on um, Lexington Avenue in a, an area called Lennox Hill, uh, which is quite villagey. I guess in terms of equivalent, you'd have Westbourne Grove here quite a wealthy neighborhood um, and eclectic little boutiques. So we're on 71st and Lex, a couple of streets across from Ralph Lauren's uh, flagship. Um, And we open, uh, we've closed at the moment for a month to refurbish it and we open properly first or second week of September. Interesting. And how does an operation like this work? Do you take anyone from your team here in London and then ship them to the US or do you establish new contacts there? Yeah, we did initially. We took Stephen from our London store in December and he lived out there for, well, until only a few weeks ago, setting it all up. Mm. And we've just appointed uh, a new guy who called Bruce Crystal, who was um, a manager for many years at Paul Stewart. So he's coming to us with a wealth of experience to open the store. And he was in London last week, right. having looked through the collections and getting to know the brand. So that should be good. Um, he has a very loyal clientele and it's a similar type of uh, product in terms of um, richness and texture and color. Mm-hmm. I bet this was actually, it sounds like something that would be in the making for a long time before a decision or a trigger is pulled on something like this. How long does it take to even get something like this off the ground? A very long time, yeah. actually. Right. Uh, we've we've always had um, a presence in America in terms of years ago, we used to do trunk shows for bespoke shirts and things and shoes. Um, so people have known us and people do still recognize the name thankfully but actually to try and get bricks and mortar in manhattan Hmm. which as you know is uh it's a difficult um area to work in it's very expensive uh and just finding the right type of space it's heavily unionized so you have to follow all of the regulations and everything has to be done by the book and it's not the quickest it's um quite uh bureaucratic so yeah it's we've got there but it it wasn't easy. It took a very long time. I'd say it's probably nearly two years in mm. the making. Mm. 
And yeah. sorry, Simon, remind me of the date when you expect to be opening the store again, please. Well, I, I'm always hesitant to say this. Because <laughs> it depends on the builders, but I would say safely the 15th of September. Great, excellent. Uh, well, I'm I'll be... regret. I bet I'll regret. <laughs> well, uh, I'll be over there. I think on the 19th. So I just wanted to pop by and see see how you're getting on. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I'll let them know. Fantastic. Great. Um, meanwhile, let's talk a little bit about the bespoke service. So. What sure. can your average gentleman expect when he comes in for an appointment for a bespoke new and lingwood suit? Uh, we don't do bespoke suits. We do made-to-measure suits. I think right. it's a term that over the over the years, uh, bespoke has been a little bit devalued. Yeah. Uh, in that bespoke would be if we had tailors downstairs cutting patterns and chalking and running up and downstairs to service a customer, that would be a bespoke service. We do that for shirts and we right. do that. Um, for gowns yeah but for suits it's made to measure so it's based on our uh, the blocks that we have we have a number of blocks that people can try on and then they make amendments accordingly now there's quite a lot of uh, changes they can make in terms of pocket details and internals and uh, the the figurations of their back if they have a different shaped back or if they've got one shoulder dropped or there's a lot you can do that brings it very very close to bespoke but it's not true bespoke. But it's I think it's what the market is getting to know as bespoke, if you know what I mean. There wasn't there a law that was passed probably about ten years ago that made that was called contemporary bespoke. Um, yes, it's probably that. Right. It's yeah. more that. Yeah. Um so yeah, we do and it is an amazing service. I mean the the permutations are unbelievable. I went uh, with Bruce, the uh, US manager, last week to a, a training session on it with the people that do it for us. And it's phenomenal what you can do. So you do end up with a bespoke suit. Mm. And uh, and in London, Nicholas Fugler, who is our retail director, is has an amazing eye. And it's all about the proportion. It's all about, you know, getting it right the first time and um, and understanding the customer because the most important thing about this service um, is getting to know what the customer expects and what they're looking for and actually the measuring and the fabric selection is a small part of that process the longest bit is you know understanding the needs and what he, how he's going to wear it and what it's for and if he wants to make an impact if he wants to disappear if he wants to be um, you know, if he wants to look like a scion of industry or it's all about that side of things. And once you've got that, the rest of it's fairly easy. Yeah. But, um, you do have to understand precision, uh, uh, proportion, and you do have to understand how to, how the cloth's going to behave. Simon, I often read a lot of articles in this area about how to communicate with tailors and conversely how tailors can put it in uh, layman's terms i suppose for their customers yeah. uh, what what should a, a customer or a clientele be asking you if he wants to communicate look how do I, I i need a shirt i need a good shirt what what what's the process and the dialogue like i think uh, it's it's such a subjective thing i think people a, a good fit a, a well-fitting shirt i should say um some people think it should be close to the body. Some people like a very, very roomy shirt and they equate uh, lots of fabric with expensive and good quality. But, you know, for me, it's about fit and about movement. So I like, uh, personally, I like narrower shoulders and higher cut armholes because I know that's going to give me the freedom of movement. People always think a baggy shirt gives you more freedom, but actually it can restrain you a little bit. I think it's about understanding 
how you see that shirt. Do you want a, a neat collar? Do you want um, a, a dramatic spread collar? I think you need to consider your face shape. It's very important when you think about your collar, what your face shape is. You know, there's no point having a cutaway collar if you've got a round face because it's going to make it look even rounder. Mm. Um, so you should be looking to draw that down with a forward point. And similarly, if you've got a very long face, you don't want a forward pointing collar too much because it's only going to accentuate that. I think people need to consider um, comfort um, and how they're going to wear it and how their face is really. Uh, whether they, uh, The other thing is obviously whether they wear a tie or not. If they don't wear a tie, then it's really important that that collar structure stands properly um if it doesn't have a tie too many shirts these days you see them on people were designed to have a tie worn around them and once they're open necked they just sort of collapse the collar stand collapses and that looks just as bad so yeah it's, it is a dialogue all of this bespoke um conversation and service is about a dialogue yeah and it, it's amazing just the amount of variables and, like you say, the amount of permutations that go into something like this. Yet, and in the same time, there is something that must be in the philosophy of New and Lingwood to kind of break out of convention, you know, and, and provide something different for customers as well. Do you, oh, yeah. Do you find that's yeah, quite a hard th- line to traverse? Yeah, um, we... But then, you know, if, as I was saying, you look back at fabrics and you realize nothing's new. You look back at collar shapes that you used to have. I mean, there are some crazy things out there, massive collars that the likes of Bogard and um, uh, Cary Grant used to wear. And those real... Um, Roger elegant, Moore. <laughs> Roger Moore, yeah. Elegantly stylish men. So if you look to the past, you could still call it tradition, but it's just, um, they, there was, I don't know, there was this exuberance then. And uh, and me, and I don't think people were worried about their masculinity so much. And, that, and that's good because nowadays people are becoming less conscious of that. And they are, be, um, I guess, they're experimenting more. They're becoming more of a peacock, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fantastic for the fashion industry. Um, but yeah, I, it's not difficult for us. We can quite easily do the most bold of collars or, you know, whatever a customer wants, actually. Mm. Um, and that, that's the beauty because we're small. Um, if, if, you know, I know you're going to come onto gowns in a minute, but if a customer wanted their own silk or they happen to want a, a jacquard of the, the family portrait, God forbid, in a silk, we could do it. Yeah. You know, they don't have to buy meters and meters and meters of fabric we can do one-offs um and that's the beauty of being small and agile i guess as we are um perhaps we can talk about the gowns now because i'm (laughs) i'm gagging to get onto it so (laughs) just please take me back to where like the idea for the gowns coming because you i haven't really seen it in any other place where the gowns are almost front and center as the usp for the brand and i know you've got a lot of other great stuff going on there but this really is you know the show pony of the brand isn't it so yeah i uh when i came in seven years ago and they were there they were present and they were a small part of the business but i liked them because they were they did have that uh boldness about them and confidence and i guess i've gravitated to it because you really can let your mind go and and people just love the boldest of um designs and jacquards so it 
it, it was a happy accident, really. Gradually, as I put more and more in, people responded to them. I mean, you know, nobody really needs a two and a half thousand pound gown, but people want them. Um, and there is something they're drawn to them. And I think there's also a safety about wearing it in your own home. So you might be the meekest, mildest of per- pe- but a person, but actually you can be a king of your own castle, I guess, when you get home and you can uh, celebrate your success or just wear what you want to in your own domain. So I just, um, yeah, every season I try and do something different, try and find something that's a little bit more um, surprising, um, but whilst keeping our staples. So, you know, our silk polka dots will still be there and our skull and crossbones that comes from 1865. Um, and then the peacock has become a sudden core line for us if, if there were such a thing. Everything is limited in number. Um, but I'm very lucky. Uh, I have a maker in the UK um, who I went to see yesterday, actually, to do a video of how our gowns are made. And uh, the craftsmanship is wonderful. You know, the way they can they hand quilt the velvet facings and the piping and the cording and the lining. It's just wonderful to watch. Just a small team in a little atelier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it's true craftsmanship. So... Uh, going back to your question it i guess it became a strategy but originally it was just something i enjoyed playing with and and uh once you've put together a range of suits in navy and gray um and then you've worked on you've come on to your uh sports jackets then i guess the next stage is where can we go next and that's when it gets to you know i can just really let myself go and Mm. yeah do that simon i should i guess i should have asked this at the start but is your background in fashion design? No, no, not at all. I um, I did a French degree um, and uh, I lived in Paris for a year as part of it. And then while I was there, I had to write a dissertation, but it couldn't be on anything to do with literature. So I was very lucky. I, um, I guess because you have no inhibitions then, I knocked on the door of 31 Rue Combon. So I asked to meet Lagerfeld and this lady who was the head of marketing at the time said let's go for lunch we went for lunch she asked what i wanted to write about and then she brought me back into the famous building up that mirrored staircase and she is no word of a lie she stood in front of the door which said mademoiselle Privé, which people now know but didn't then knocked on the door and then she ran off up the corridor and said good luck and then the door opened and this woman came out and she said why are you here and i said um I've come to see Karl Lagerfeld. And she said, oh, you better come in then. Oh. And then I, I sat there for three hours and he eventually came out and said, what do you, what, why are you here? I said, I've come to do a dissertation. He said, right, you come here every day that you want. You you can sit here and watch me put together the collections. It was at the time of Inès de la Fressange as a house model. Mm-hmm. And he had an assistant called Gilles Dufour. And then I worked with the girls who were choosing the buttons and the girls who were choosing the cloths. And then I'd sit there watching him sketch and he'd throw me the odd sketch. And then after that, uh, after, at the end of the year, I did an interview with him one-to-one. And he said, would you like to work at Chanel? And I said, yeah, love to. I said, but I, I don't have any design background. He said, well, let's see what happens. I sent him the dissertation. They gave me an interview in London, but they said they could only offer me marketing as a role. Mm-hmm. So they said, we think you want to work in fashion itself. And I said, yeah. So I walked, I, I left there, didn't take the job, walked up the street Bond Street, walked up South Moulton Street, and I walked past Browns, 
and there was a sign in there that they were looking for staff. So I went in and said I wanted to be a trainee buyer. Uh, and I started the next week under Mrs. Burstein mm-hmm. in uh, 1985. And that was it, really. So it was pretty accidental. So it started at Chanel in Paris. And then I, my first job was buying for Browns for four years. Wow. I look back now and I think, how, how did I do that? What You know, knock on the door and so I'd like to meet. But I guess he'd only started there in 83, 84 himself. He wasn't, you know, the big diva that he's become. I shouldn't say that. Please don't. (laughs) He wasn't, you know, he wasn't wearing the big, long, deep white collars and the stuff. like. He was just a very nice man Hmm. and very, very helpful to me. And then at the same time, funnily enough, I was teaching English at school out there. This is another story. And one of the teachers said, oh, I know um, Christian Lacroix. Now, he at the time wasn't known. He was the designer at Jean Patou. So she said, well, why don't you go and meet him as well? So I went to meet him. We got on really well. He was a big help. And then he was he sent me Christmas cards for years afterwards. And yeah, I was. it was just a, a lucky time, I guess. Fantastic. And Do I, you still get to go back to Paris at all? Uh, I haven't been back for... I used to go back twice a year, but I haven't been back because I don't do Premier Vision now. I do Pity Womo, uh, Pity Womo, Milano Unica instead. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, I must go back. I miss it. It's, yeah, I loved my year there. I loved living there. Richard Richard Beadle, is that the way you say his name, Richard Beadle? Uh, I think it's Richard Beadle, yeah. Beadle, Richard Beadle, the brand ambassador for, for yeah. the Spring Summer 18. What was, was he an obvious choice? Because it, it looks like he's just a he's just a very good fit for the brand. Yeah, you know, it it was just, again, it was serendipity. It was wonderful. I'd always wanted to use him as a model. And I was at one of the um, London Men's Collections shows, and he he came into the shop, and he said, oh, can I use your loo? So I said, yeah, come this side, come up to the office. And while we were up there, I said, I'd love to... um, use you as a model I said but you're way out of our league he said no 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 I'd love to work with you yeah so uh we can you know he said I really really want to work with the brand I, I want to make this work so we did actually eventually start to work together a couple of seasons ago and he's phenomenal he's so intelligent and it's really interesting because it's amazing you know you say they're just a model but some people really get it and personality comes through you don't have to tell them to smile or to stand like this or do this or do they just do it and it comes alive and he's just brilliant but he's so intelligent i mean i don't know if you knew he trained as a solicitor he was a solicitor fully qualified oh i didn't know that no. was sitting outside a pub uh, in stepney i think and or somewhere out near his office and somebody came past and said have you ever thought about modeling and the next week he's on the runway in new york and that was it <laughs> Genius. And uh, but just a bright guy, so I've had him write for us as well, and he's just got an amazing innate style. Mm. He really, he just gets it. Um, so it it is a really really good fit. I think he's um, again stylish, modern, um, but he has that sort of Romanov look about him, yeah, uh, which is uh, a link to the past. He has. Um, he's got this very classic look to him. I. Whenever I see him, I always, for some reason, think to the actor Vincent Fussell. Uh, he's a French actor. But he he kind of has that very freance, uh, beat, oh, yeah. beaten yeah. look to him. So. That's okay. So, yeah, he's yeah very in, he, the intimidating actor, mm. isn't he? Yeah. Quite an angular face. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But he's so lovely. He pops in. He wrote to me this week and said, oh, let's meet for coffee. Um, and he's, he's going to actually in the, uh, come in next week just for a chat. He just brings his lovely little dog in, Vinny. 
<laughs> just for a chat and a catch up. Um, he's so personable and such a nice, genuinely nice guy, which, you know, is rare in the, those sort of spheres where people start to believe their own legend and can become a bit distant. He, he's kept it real, as they say. Indeed. Yep. Well, and also it looks like um, now take this with the spirit that's intended, Richard, if you're listening to this, that every picture has some kind of airbrushed cigarette. <laughs> the way he, the way he holds his hands in the pictures because I know he smokes and I just imagine yeah. him with a cigarette in his hand at all times and I just feel like for certain pictures he probably would have been holding a cigarette but because they're now on the website they had to be airbrushed out <laughs> a la Paul McCartney Abbey Road's cover you know <laughs> yeah he does every, everything is so sort of elegant isn't it yeah he really he just puts everything even when he comes in on you know very relaxed there's always an elegance and style about him if uh, well, your website, um, Simon, is newandlingwood dot com, and that's where the collections are lived, and that's where Richard's blogs uh, are also housed. So you can go there and have a look at his recommendations for the summer collections. Um, Simon, can I just finish with a word on bricks and mortar? Sure. And basically, the future, and just get your take on what's happening on the high street at the minute. You know, what are your projections? Are you worried at all with the state of the high street? Yeah, I, do, I, I, I get frustrated because I think, you know, it's the same. I'm sure lots of people are telling you the same thing. Landlords are being unrealistic about rents and the rent increases are phenomenal. You know, 60% five years ago, another 60% recently. It's, you can't pass that on to your customer. It's just not possible. And uh, they, they're they ripping the character out of some of the streets. I, I understand that. On Savile Row, there are six leases that are up for offer because the businesses can't make it work and they're going to take away the whole meaning of places like Savile Row. Um, they're trying, you know, in a way, they're sort of doing it in some respect to German Street um, because they're just going for higher and higher rents and it's only the multiples that can do that. I mean, look at Burlington Arcade. Mm. The number of the number of the units in there are all Chanel brands. Mm. Um, because they're the ones that can pay top dollar. Um, so all of the ones that years ago, Lords and Pickets and uh, the Irish linen tea towel shop and peels have all been priced out of the market. And mm. um, I think that's a shame. And I think it also shows, especially if you look at the particularly the Chanel perfume shop. But then uh, I guess the way to counter that is to make sure that when people do come to the store, they experience the best in service and, you know, something more um, than the Internet can offer. One to one service, you know, drinks, um, a little bit of theater events so that you keep that keep them engaged. Is there um, anything that you've employed in New and Lingwood with this philosophy well, of experiential shopping? In in definitely in um, in New York, uh, you know the cocktail cabinets ever open, and we're in the new shop. We've got a little uh, courtyard garden. We're going to have um, cigars there for people uh, if they want to smoke them. And in London, we do in certain periods we'll do some cocktails for customers towards Christmas and in summer. London collections, uh, doing talks for London Craft Week. Um, to tell people a little bit more about how things are made and put together. Yeah, giving them a bit of an insight into the brand. Mm. So I guess that's the only way to turn the tide on. You know, online is hugely important to us and it's a massive growth area for our business. But I think our store, you can't quite replicate the uniqueness of that um, old curiosity shop that we have. 
uh, online. We do, we try to do it, but you have to visit the, the you know, the flagship to see that and experience it. Mm. Um, and I think for a lot of people, if only landlords would start to listen um, to people and work with them, then um, I think it would be better for everybody. Simon Maloney there. Thank you, Simon. And now over to Beck Loads, editor-at-large for Menswear Style. How are you doing today, Bex? I'm good, thanks, Pete. How are you? I am wunderbar. I'm wunderbar. I've actually just got back from Berlin, so I was out there for the weekend. Mm -hmm. I love Berlin. It's great place. It is. It's just a wonderful, huge, beautiful construction site. (laughs) <laughs> uh, true. Very true. yeah you can't go around a corner without finding a road dug up or a building about to be torn down yeah absolutely uh, yeah. but some interesting architecture to go behind it so it's quite nice how was france though france was lovely thank you mm-hmm. yeah you can't really go too wrong down in the south of france just lovely weather and yeah very nice thank you excellent great and what's been going on in the meantime whilst we've been away swanning up in the european capitals what's what's happening back in fashion well, i think we've we've just come to the end of um copenhagen fashion week actually um that is is very interesting actually there's i mean there's so many amazing scandinavian brands now that who are doing so well and um it's it's become really popular actually it's i don't know i think this year for some reason it looked one of the most popular um seasons to head to actually um and there were a lot of very trendy people there of course mm. um a lot of people heading over to copenhagen for it and um it was mostly women's wear but actually some really nice men's brands as well to look out for did you pick any out from the men's um, brands there were there was um one called holt i'm probably going to say this wrong um one called Holtzvila, which um they look really interesting um they actually started out as like a scarf brand with like scarves from lounge wool and silk and things um they're a norwegian brand and um just some really cool designs really nice um there was also another one one which is quite i i didn't know anything about it but apparently it's very popular within um the press the danish press and they're called i don't know how to say this is muf10 so i don't know if it's <laughs> muffin or muf10 yeah they're kind of a streetwear brand and they've got some sort of statement sweatshirts and coats and things like that. So, oh, well picked yeah. out. Yeah, these names are real tongue twisters, aren't they? Yeah, so, there's other ones I have no idea how to say. <laughs> I've got Han, that's easy enough, but then you throw in like Kodjabanahavan or something, yeah. whatever that is. Han Kodjabanahavan. <laughs> They are, they're really wacky, some of these guys. Yeah. There's a, a dude walking around wearing two pairs of denim. <laughs> Oh, it looks like it. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Han Kojabanahavan. And oh, okay. it's it's like you put a pair of jeans on and you thought, well, I've got this pair, but I need, a, you know, I need something else. What do I do? And then you just put another pair of jeans over it. And that's what the not? look. That's the look. Martin Asperjohn. Martin Asperjohn. I quite like some of his stuff. Yeah. Got some like mustard colored trousers and these powder blue jackets oversized jackets and yeah, th- nice. these trousers i really want some of these trousers because they look corduroy which is my favorite favorite fabric oh love it and they've got these like cowboy tassel strips that are running down the side of these trousers oh, yeah yeah i'd look an absolute knob in them but i mean they look <laughs> they look at the nuts on these guys <laughs> yeah so that's all done and done now isn't it so yeah all done yeah mm-hmm. finished the other day i think it's from the 7th to the 9th of august so yeah 
yeah okay so until next year i hope you get the invite next year that'd be nice yeah it'd be cool actually i'd love to go it looked very looked like the place to be so uh, yeah yeah very nice and what's happening back on english soil english soil well there's been a lot of talk about short shorts at the moment i don't know if you've been seeing it sort of on social media and things like that Mm -hmm. um it's uh it's an interesting trend. I think you've got to be slightly brave to go for it. Um but it actually sort of kicked off again last night. There was a few tweets, um, joking tweets from Elon Musk, um, talking to one of his investors <laughs> and saying he would send him some short shorts in the post, which he did. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but it's actually a trend that started a while ago, I think. Um I I can't remember seeing them myself. I think it was a bit maybe a bit young, but Apparently, it was quite a trend sort of about 25 years ago, mm. um, but it's really coming back. And I think it's sort of come from sort of sportswear, the short shorts in the gym, and it's now spilling out onto the streets. And Prada were a big fan and put them on their spring, summer catwalk. So, um, yeah. What do you think about them? Well, look, I come from a different place when it comes to shorts because I'm only 5'7 at a push. Okay. So, like a pair of short shorts on me is actually a good length short <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't I don't really get the concept of short shorts at least I can't experience it okay but it also does seem like the guys that have the worst legs no muscles no calves these are the guys that want to wear the short shorts yeah <laughs> actually I don't I think if you have quite there's nothing against it but if you have quite sort of chunky sort of muscly legs they might not be the look you want to go for i think it's maybe for the more slender leg but um yeah i think uh if you want to do it go for it but um, they, <laughs> some of them look very short what do you think bex it's more important your opinion's more important you're the woman <laughs> well i think i think short shorts suit a certain look i think they can look good um i I personally don't wear very short shorts myself. Um, but, yeah, I mean... But on a I mean, dude, I mean, you'd be judging a dude if he walked towards you with shorty shorts. Yeah, I, I think maybe maybe not too short. I think there's a limit, isn't there? There's definitely a limit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, think, yeah. I think as soon as you start to reveal... Well, Alan Partridge would call them. Yeah, well, the boys out of the barracks, I was going to say. (laughs) There is that slight issue, yeah. Yeah. And also, you should be shaving your legs, I guess, if you're showing that much leg. That is also another good point. How far do you go? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, who are doing this? Prada, Katama, Fendi are all doing it, and Feng Chen Wang. Okay, interesting. I tell you, a nice, appropriate length short seamlessly going into the interview i did with adam brown the 007 printed shorts that we spoke about a couple of uh, episodes ago now that is a nice decent length short that's a man's short that's true that's a good length actually yeah and it it's supposed to be a good length as well because they were tailored around a trouser so so i've learned since the interview it's it's a 17 piece pattern that is typical 17 to 20 pieces normally go into a men's trouser and so yeah. what they've done with the short is just basically just lop off the leg of the trouser. That's what you want to go for. Uh-huh. Anyway, I'll, uh, I'll uh, squeeze in a clip here of the interview. So, I mean, what people might not realise about your shorts, Adam, is that they are based on a 17-piece pattern swim short. So basically they are, they are trousers, but without the leg into a short, effectively. Yeah. And so they're not, based, they're not based on a swim short. What they're based on is the traditional pattern of a man's pair of trousers. So if you, the, normally a man's trouser will have about 17 
around 17 pieces in the pattern, you know, 17 to 20 pieces in the pattern. And with that, it sort of allows you to have a sort of shape waistband. You can, uh, you have, pa- uh, you have panels at the, um, you can have different panels. If you look at a boxer short style, there'll be a front panel, a back panel. Uh, there'll be no zip fly. You'll just have. Um, there won't be double two layer two um, parts to the waistband. All that sort of thing. There'll mostly be. There's a different. There'll be about 20 pieces in the shorts. In our shorts, there are over 60 elements going to the making of one pair of shorts. But the shorts are based on the traditional pattern of a man's pair of trousers, which has normally about 17 to 18 pieces in it. Yeah, that's amazing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it makes yeah, it makes total sense. So, but if you include the zip pulls, you include the thread, you include all the fusible lining, you include the buttons, all that sort of thing. There are over 60 elements going to the making of one pair of shorts, but they're based on the traditional pattern of a man's pair of trousers. Adam Brown from Oliver Brown there talking to me on the From Tailors With Love podcast. You can download that on iTunes. Just type in From Tailors With Love. It's all about the style of James Bond. But what do you think of that, Bex? I love those shorts. They're great. Really nice. And he also mentions that they're bringing out a new hero collection in spring, summer 19. So more James Bond clothing to come from Oliver Brown. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm acting like it's not cool, but it's I'm really excited. Yeah, cool, I like it. Cool. Well, Bex, uh, I, I just, do you believe that might be about it? I think it probably yeah, is. Yeah, short and sweet this week. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, in the meantime, Bex, where can people find you? Um, I am on Instagram, Beckloads. Um, so yeah, come and have a look at my photos or anything. I've got the links to menswear style articles on there as well. So come and have a look. Absolutely. Thank you, Backloads. Thank you, Simon Maloney from New and Lingwood. Thank you, the listener, for making it through to the end here. And we'll be back next month. And until then, remember, it's only fashion, people. And you're never fully dressed without a smile. <laughs>